Blog Talk Radio. Well, hey, kids. Um, I see we're a couple minutes behind schedule here. That's probably because I've been trying to dial in for the last two minutes and it wasn't working. Um, my apologies to Lynn, of course, that she's on hold. Um, real quickly, I just want to mention that as of right now, um, I'm 90% sure I have my confirmation for Friday and Saturday show. So just keep your eyes and ears open later today on my personal page as well as the Sins Chat Corner page. So this way you guys can get a sense of where we're at for this week and when I'm going to have shows on Friday and Saturday. It's a little sketchy right now, but just hold on tight and I'll be able to let you know soon. So without further ado, since Lynn has been gracious enough to hold for me. Let's put her on the line and get going with our interview. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Oh, thank God you're there. Oh, my God, I feel so bad. I've been trying to call into my own show, and it wasn't working. <laughs> I know that's hard. That's how Blog Talk Radio is. They give you, like, this guest number, which is your number. Then they give me my number, and then I call in with, like, this secret code, you know, like a PIN number, and it just kept ringing. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't picking Uh-oh. up. It just kept ringing, and I'm like, oh, my God, there's this person holding, and I'm trying to call into my show, and it's not working. And it's like that oh, shit moment, like, oh, my God, all these people are waiting to hear my voice, and Lynn's on hold, and I can't communicate, and I'm panicking, and there's no wine because it's only 3 o'clock. So, hi. How are you? I'm doing well. Hi, I just want to say I have um... – I live in Southwest Florida, so I'm not really in any danger of, I hope I'm not in any danger of Hurricane Matthew really doing, you know, a lot of havoc in this area. However, right when I was calling in, it started thundering, it's pouring, so I apologize if somehow I lose you, Um, I don't know how that works, I'll call you back or um, right. I was just going to so say, let's, the... let's address that. Yeah, let's address that right away because I knew that you were from Florida and I was going to mention that right away because I have other dear friends besides you that are there. And so everybody's kind of wondering how things are going. Is it is it just kind of section by section? Things are different in different well, areas? It or, or what's it like? yet. It's, it's so huge. I've been through this before when Katrina went through. Katrina right. went up the Gulf. This one's going the other direction. I live on the Gulf okay. side, fortunately, this time. But you get these outer bands because the winds are so strong that we start feeling it, even though it's still in the Bahamas, we can start feeling it over here. And I went out earlier today. I couldn't find any gas. I mean, note to self, (gasps) hurricanes coming. You know, I know people on the East Coast are panicking and they have to evacuate. Over here, not so much. We still have food in the stores and whatnot. But I couldn't find any gas. I was driving around. I'm like, I should have bought gas yesterday. But anyway. Right. So I I started seeing that motion where you see the tops of the trees. They just, they're twisting around. They're dancing around like they're not, you know, it's not normal. Mm -hmm. So that's what we got going on down here. I don't think it's supposed to arrive in Miami, off Miami, Mm -hmm. until about 2 a.m. Okay. You've got a while. Okay, gotcha. We got okay, a little got while, right. yep. So oh, I'm glad great. we scheduled so we this panic. for today because who knows No kidding, right? Don't even say that because <laughs> nothing's going to happen. I'm not even going to go there because you put that out in the okay. universe. As I know, you know this. You put it out there, and it's out there. So don't put it out there. We're not putting it out there. Everything's fine. It's going to be fine. I'm a positive person. Going to be fine. Going to be fine. Gonna I be am fine. Absolutely. Yes. So we have a lot. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I know so much about you. And now my listeners are going to sound out. I just creeped on you. Like you wouldn't believe I've learned everything there is to know about Lynn. Just to give a background though. I want, 
the people that are listening to know this. Lynn and I have actually been Facebook friends, and we have not ever formally met, and this is the first time she's visited my show. I could tell you that she's just a lovely, lovely lady, and I've said that on the basis of your posts and the, the lovely words that you've shared with me in the past. So I feel myself very, very fortunate Thank to have someone you. like you on my show. I don't get to do this with everybody. I don't get to interview my friends, which kind of sucks because I have so many now, and I, I can't do 4,000 people in one year it's just right. too much um so you're special um so consider yourself lucky you're thank on my show you. damn it and you thank had to wait you. five whole minutes to, to get to me yeah right i'm so special <laughs> not it's the guests that are the special ones so what we're going to do is jump around between different things first of all i want to start sure. off by talking a little bit about you you're kind of a chameleon that's what i call you um and that's a good thing to those that do not know you are all over the place meaning that you're an author you're a photographer you're a social media marketing strategist you've worked in film before so you're in various different areas but i want to start out with doing something very very basic um i want to talk a little bit about education i know that you attended the university of arizona for creative writing and you also did the moon park college for photography now creative writing and photography means you're a double threat you know, meaning you can take pictures, you can write about your own pictures. You're amazing. And I mean that in the best way. So I should have said threat in a good way. So here's my question to you. Do you find personally speaking, because you're both an author and a photographer, the the school of life, so to speak, is your best teacher, meaning that your canvas is the world, so to speak, or were there some valuable lessons that you took from that schooling that you practice in and out every day to do your craft? Wow. Well, I want to back up a little with the sure. two because mm-hmm. it's interesting when I was in high school my English teacher and I, I remember this now because it's important but back then I was sure. like oh whatever she said <laughs> are you going to college and I said no my father had already paid a chunk of money for me to go to modeling school in Chicago and sure. he didn't want to you know sell out any and it was the 60s and everything was just we were all you know it was a party I didn't feel that in need then to go to college. I just wanted to get away from home and go experience life, which I did. I ended up out in California, and I listened to myself finally because I'd been working in the restaurant business, and I thought, I can't do this my entire life. I have to find Mm -hmm. something I feel passionate about that I can do forever. That is what I thought I could. So I decided to study photography. And back then, women weren't really welcome in that field so much. So it was always a challenge just finding even someone after I got the education to hire me as an assistant. But I was lucky. I I was able. I lived in L.A. I got good training in lighting and business, and I found out what I didn't want to do. And what I really loved doing was documentary, long-term documentary projects where I would focus on something of interest and I would keep going Mm -hmm. back and back and back to just unfold and peel the onion. I I don't feel that you can, you know, when you're hired as a photographer, you usually have sometimes 15 minutes to make a portrait or do this or that. You Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of time. You have to really you know, go in and get out. But if you can go in and really understand what it is the story is about, then I feel I was more successful that way. So I still had I gotcha. to make money. So mm-hmm. I I was fortunate that I knew people in the film industry, and I worked for free on a lot of films just to make 
the photos I needed to get a portfolio, and then I was able to to build that up so I could work. And what I did okay. was I would work in film, and features usually ran two, three, four months. You worked like crazy, 10, 12 hours a day, sure. six days a week. So you had no time to spend money, and you're usually in some weird place where there was no shopping or anything. So you didn't spend your money, you saved it. And I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. So I would save my money and work on projects in my off time, travel, and and go to places. So the writing came about in Haiti. Um, I always kept journals, but I never took it seriously that I could be a writer. I I didn't have the confidence, just like I don't feel I can paint well, you know, if I wanted to be a painter. Hmm. I love to paint, but I, I don't feel confident in it. It took me okay. so long to feel confident about making photographs that I loved and felt proud. This is me. You know, I'm, I don't wow. care what you think. This is my photo. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I did that in yeah. Haiti, finally. It took years. Okay. It took years and years right. and years. So hmm. when I'm in Haiti, I'm around a lot of people that have psychic abilities. Okay. And they would it would randomly come up. People that had never met me before, uh, one famous voodoo priest there, his name was Max Benoit, he's deceased now, but he was like the voodoo priest in Haiti at the time. And I went to a ceremony. I was invited. I went to a ceremony. He was possessed by a spirit that was, you know, in his lineage. Hmm. And I was called over to speak to him and he he was very sweet like a father and he was stroking my hair and he said oh you're gosh. turned upside down you don't you're the man you're with doesn't understand you you need to find a good man so you can write and write and write and I'm like what and then I was with a friend and he pointed to my friend Fran who lived mm-hmm. in the place that I had moved away from because I broke up with this man and it was bad and I had to move to New York to get away from him. He said, okay. you're strong as a woman there. You need to live there. And I went, what? You know, so when you can like say, oh, this is, you know, this is nothing. Back then I didn't believe it was anything. That was okay. one of the first times it happened. And it kept happening in Haiti. So long story short, I left Haiti. I wished okay. for a son, a husband. I, I really, I was almost mm-hmm. 40 years old. I was 40 when Sam was born. And I came across a book written by, um, you may know the book. It's Women Who Run With the Wolves. Have you ever read no, that book? No, I haven't heard that. Well, I've not read it, no. Written the, it was written in the year 1991 when my son was born. And okay. it's written by a woman who has a Ph.D. in Jungian psychology. And okay. when I read this book, I understood why I went to Haiti, and it gave me the courage to write my story. So then oh. it was that time I took classes. at. We were living in Tucson, and I took classes at the University of Arizona in creative writing. And okay. an author who lived there, his name was Alan Harrington, he's – since passed away, he kind okay. of mentored me. He 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 took me under his wing. He was an elderly gentleman. 
he had been in the crowd with uh, Timothy Leary and those guys, you know, back in the Harvard days and back in New York. And, you know, so he, he got what I went through in the 60s. He was just a little bit older. And he totally understood what happened to me in Haiti. My writing was terrible. And I'm not saying that I'm a good writer either. You know, I can do copywriting and the kind of things I need to do on social media. But, you know, writing about yourself and making it interesting and, you know, it's, it's a struggle. It's, uh, you open your vein and hmm. you let yourself bleed. So oh, no that's kidding. how it Definitely all came together. Um, okay. And I'm, you know, I really feel stronger about the photographs when I do my writing story what happened to me there is so amazing that well, it right. needs to be told. And I feel like exactly. it will inspire other women, other people to listen to their heart and do what your heart is telling you to do and not be afraid. So that's basically what right. Blonde Voodoo is about. Well, look at that. Okay, my goodness. Well, we started with schooling and now we were talking about Blonde Voodoo, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to... Um, ask you a question. Um, obviously, you went off to school. You did the creative writing and the photography thing like we talked about. Now, I know, which is really exciting to me because I am a fan of Ansel Adams, as most people are, and I know that you're a student of his, so I had to pick your brain on this. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm sure most of us yeah. have not met or worked with Ansel Adams. So what kind of experience was that? I mean, what was that like? That had to be amazing. Ansel was the most generous, amazing human being and really? I met him, oh, not too long before he passed away. He was in his 80s. And right. he lived in Carmel, California. And okay. he started an organization called the Friends of Photography. And okay. at the time when I was able to go up there, you had to submit a portfolio. And okay. it was judged to whether you were, you know, allowed to attend his workshops. Sure. Okay. Fortunately, I got in, and it was the most mind-blowing, incredible, week-long experience, because it wasn't just Ansel. It was photographers, master photographers that I met there. Mary Ellen Mark was there, Ruth Bernard, Jerry Yulesman, Dwayne Michaels. Oh, gosh. It was, and so you got one-on-one time, not one-on-one time, but you were in little groups. So you had sessions with each photographer during the day, and then you had time to go off and make photos. But then at the end, there was a huge critique, and Ansel looked at everyone's work. He invited all of us to his home and showed us his dark room. And we had lunch there. I mean, he and his wife were just so sweet. Everyone, I still have friends from that time that are so dear to me, and I don't get to see them very often, but we just love each other so much. Oh, I bet. I'll never forget that experience. It it really. Oh, my God, you're uh, so lucky. I have a friend I talked to her on Sunday, and she is now going to Cuba to do a project down there, teach some children and bring in some cameras and for an art festival. And she said, you know, I feel like I'm channeling Ruth and Ansel right now. And I said, well, you are, you know, (laughs) I mean, this is what we were set. We set this set out to do. And we're, you know, it might take a while to get to where you want to be, but you have that in your heart and mind that you can do it. So 
You bet. Was there any kind of knowledge or wisdom or anything that you learned from him in particular, meaning during that time with him that kind of stood out? Because obviously some of us learn from the, the masters of the craft, obviously, and he is one well, of them. Well, Ansel developed this very scientific approach to making photographs so they would turn hmm. out well. Okay. And you can still buy those books. I mean, he made, you know, the camera, the negative. I mean, and we don't, many people don't work with film any longer, but that's what it was about. It was about visualizing the photograph you wanted to make before you made it with the lighting and how, what camera you were going to use, what film you were going to use, and then making sure that that was correct. So when you did get into the dark room, you would have, something to start with. I mean, you can't really magically make a beautiful print if the negative wasn't exposed correctly. And it was so complicated and it was such hard work that he shared it with anyone. You know, he, he shared his knowledge because I think he knew, well, the ones who really, really, really want to succeed and will follow this and work hard at it, but it's not for everyone. You know, it's, it's very difficult, I think, to I imagine. follow. So that was what we took away. It was just, he was such an incredible human being with, you know, just who he I was. Bet. And that's amazing. That whole totally. Group up and there, though, you know, they were friends and they were lucky. They were lucky they had each other, you know, like Edward sure. Weston. And then, you know, all this, they started out where photography wasn't really very popular back then. So, hmm. Look at that. They grew it in. And into now something. that you. Well, exactly. And that's just it. And I have always thought to myself, and you can concur, because honestly, let me tell you, I can't take a photograph to save my life. I can tell you, I can write a story till the day is long, cannot take a picture. So I've often wondered this, and I've noticed this. Honestly, have you ever looked at, like, even if it's not your pictures, it's someone else would say, the one predominant thing that I've noticed about it is, one of the biggest signs to me that you're an excellent photographer is that you're able to capture the essence of the subject, whatever it is, whether it's an animal, human, or whatever, you bring out the best out of that subject. So my question to you is how do you approach photography? Do you do something like at that standpoint? How do you bring out the best out of your subjects? Or how do you get the heart of the matter, so to speak, whether it's a location shooter, whether it's a person, whether it's an animal? How do you push out or how do you pull out the best of that subject to get the best photo? Mm. Am I making sense? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I feel it comes from a place, you know, in your heart. It's an intellectual approach. But, you know, I used to photograph celebrities, and that that was not an easy Hmm. job at all. Really? Um, No, because I was on set, and there was a lot of pressure, and... I was rushed, you know, usually it was being a still photographer in on a film set, you're like, you know, the low person on the totem pole, so to speak. Right. And I got it. Mm-hmm. So you have to tread very carefully um, that you're not, you know, pissing anyone off, I guess is a good way to put it. <laughs> you can't be too, and there are a lot of photographers that are very pushy and, I would sometimes be hired because I would promise not to get in the way. I would promise, you know, I'm not going to interfere. I'll do my best. You have to be like the little fly on the wall. And, yeah. So 
then mm. you would have during downtime when they were resetting for a new shot and redoing the lighting, you would have time to set up your own little studio and ask the actor to interact with you. So it just oh, depends on whether that person, I mean, you have to win their approval and then you have to, if they like you or you have something in common and you can start up some kind of conversation, then you're fine. But if it's not anything that they want to be doing, there's really, I don't have any advice for that. You know, you just, you'll make the image and you'll do the best you can and you move on. Sometimes things turn out really well because there's an excitement about being together. And I think, you know, it's the same thing when a director is directing a film. It's if you love the person you're working with, you they're going to get the best out of you. So does that make any sense? I mean, with animals, it does, I no, mean, animals I love it. me. It's animals are a lot right. easier. Right. Um, animals know exactly. that I'm not going to hurt them. And if I'm patient enough, I know I can I can make a good photo of an animal. If you know, I've never right. really specialized in that, but I have friends who work for National Geographic, which do. That takes a lot gotcha. of patience. Uh, you're mostly it. setting up camera traps in the wild if that's what you're doing. I mean, it just depends on the animal. But mm-hmm. um, in Haiti, I fell so madly in love with the place eventually, not immediately. Um, in the beginning, I was terrified. But right. after I, I got my you know, act together, I fell so in love with them that I, it became a mission to me to not make images of what Haiti is depicted for. I didn't want to show okay. the poverty so much. I didn't right. want to show how they were struggling. I wanted to show how they coped with struggling, and that's with their culture and right. practicing contacting the spirits. I mean, that's how they survive. I get that. Um, at first, I didn't, but I totally get that mm-hmm. now. Um, sure. So that was easy. I got you. In a way. Eventually, no, I, no, and I totally get it. Sure, and that makes sense to me. Yeah, I just I've always wondered that because I look at different pictures and I see different things. I think we all see a little something different, but obviously, to ask a professional photographer is a whole nother, you know, a whole nother game. Okay, I want to switch gears a minute, and I want to talk about, since you brought it up, from 1980 to 1994, of course, you did both camera and electric work relative to different film sets, uh, Weekend at Bernie's, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Shakedown, uh, Shock to the System. Now, that must be really cool. Um, now, some people that go on film sets are all excited because they get to meet people and they get to work, you know, more so with actors and directors and things like that, and it's a big deal for them. On the flip side of the fence, to me, you come across as a person that absolutely loves to be behind a camera, behind a uh, just behind the scenes on a set or were you a little more, Oh, I'd like to learn more about the business. And I could definitely see you doing a film. That was just my take on you. I'm like, Oh my gosh, she totally would do this for the film experience. Cause I could see her embarking upon doing a film um, somewhere near, somewhere in the future. Cause you have that background. Oh yeah. You've worked on a set. Okay. Oh yeah. And how I started out in the film business um, was with a man I met when I lived in Topanga Canyon and I fell madly in love with this person. We were, you know, we just, we connected, 
but oh. it was a very tumultuous experience at times, even though we really, really loved each other. But he had had already had some success as a documentary filmmaker. He had had an Academy Award nomination. And when I met wow. him, he was um, he had been hired to create a documentary film in New Zealand on ultra-marathon long-distance runners, all runners, I guess, that hailed from New Zealand, for Air New Zealand was um, sponsoring it. So he asked me if I wanted to go with him. So it was the first time I'd ever really been out of the country for a long period of time because we were gone for, gosh, at least two months, I think. It might have been longer. And I went, and so I learned how to make films with him. I did everything. I grocery shopped. I cooked for the crew. I went to the airport and got stuff out of customs, this and that and this. And then when we came back to the States, he decided he wanted to make it big and make a feature film. And he was always working with writers on different ideas for a screenplay, et cetera. Okay. Gotcha. So he decided, and he was successful in raising money through venture capitalists. So it's like buying stock, basically, in the film. If the film doesn't do well or doesn't make any money, you don't get paid. If the film does well, you get your investment back and then whatever, you know, the film made. So everyone on the film works that way. We worked on a deferment. So we raised the money to make a film out in a feature film out in the Death Valley. Oh, my God. I mean, I should have told you something right there. Here I am with this guy out in Death Valley. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wow. Okay. And we filmed up there. And so, again, I did everything for him. You know, my my passion Mm -hmm. was to make photographs. And I made all the film stills on, on that feature as well. So, but then I was getting burned out where I felt like, well, I really want to be a photographer. And I'm, you know, I really want to follow that path. And he really loved it that I was there with him day to day in his office making movies, you know, because there's a lot of groundwork that goes into just before you even get into oh, I know. production. And then post-production, mm-hmm. and then you have to sell it. And we actually went to con with it, so that was cool. I went to the con film oh my festival God. for all my hard work. Okay. Yeah, I hope I can okay. go back there again. That was awesome. <laughs> that is so, awesome. You know, I do. I know what it takes. I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is to raise the funds. But, sure. and it's going to take a lot of cojones for someone to want to make a film in Haiti. Mm-hmm especially right. with all the problems they're always having. I know. But I I believe it's possible. It's You know, the first time I went to Haiti was with the film crew of The Serpent and the Rainbow. That's how I ended up down there. So, oh. Yeah. So, and my boyfriend, but this is a different boyfriend after I split up with this guy. Um, <laughs> I moved to She's New York City. She's had one or two. Okay. Yeah, I've had a few. And... I lived in New York City, and he was hired as a camera operator on the film, The Serpent and the Rainbow. So I went down there with him. I didn't work on The Serpent and the Rainbow. But my agent at the time said, well, why don't you take some voodoo pictures? 
and I'll try to get you the job, you know, shooting portraits, specials, you know, while you're down there. I'll, you okay. know, I'll show it to the studio sure. here in L.A., blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I listen to him like, all right, well, sure. So it was all about money and survival that when sure. I was leaving my boyfriend in L.A. and driving across cross country, I stopped sure. in New Orleans for the first time. Ooh, and I, like I went to New Orleans looking for voodoo. I'm like, well, how am I going to make pictures of voodoo? So I went to the voodoo museum, and I met the fellow who owned it. And, you know, he let me take some photos of him and then some other people. And I just felt like, you know, this isn't voodoo. I mean, what is this, you know? I felt really disappointed, and I thought, well, I'm never going to get the job. My agent was like, well, you've got to take pictures of people holding chickens with their heads cut off and because that's what oh, everyone oh. thinks voodoo is they really do oh, right they don't i agree no i agree it's something so deep and so personal you know within each mm-hmm. individual but you know and that's what i'm hoping to that's my mission with my book is you know i want right. people to understand it's not what you've been told by hollywood but anyway right charles Gandolfo, the owner of the museum said to me he goes, well, why don't you go to the, the St. Louis Cemetery on your way out of town? And there's a spell you can do to Marie Laveau. And I go, well, who's Marie Laveau? And he says, well, she was a famous mm-hmm. Buddha priestess here in New Orleans. And, you know, you okay. do this ritual and knock on her tomb and make some crosses on it. And then you can ask her for anything you want. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, wow. I'll try it. So I went there and I did that. And I didn't know what to ask for. I was like, well, what am I going to ask for? And I was standing there. I just said, please help me make photographs of Voodoo in Haiti. There I went. Yeah. That's how I went to Haiti. So. Huh. Interesting story. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. We've learned about Voodoo now more than once, Haiti more than once, and that Linda's had more than one boyfriend. Okay. So since you oh, pushed yeah. that envelope, let me just tell you this, folks. Lynn is not unattractive, so I don't get it. Your status reads, get this, she's single. What up with that? Okay, I'm I don't get single. it. I think you're lying. I think you're lying. I don't believe that. No, I'm you're not attractive lying and intelligent. You're attractive, <laughs> intelligent, hardworking, <laughs> respectable. I don't help me out here. What's going on? Oh, you're so sweet. I'm um, so honest. Honestly, I'm I don't get it. I'm divorced. Okay. And this is a totally different, um, you know, we're going to go off on on a total, totally different topic, but okay. um, as a mother, and I, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too far off course here, sure. but what happened when my son was born, two things happened. I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which a lot of people don't know this, so it left me crippled and I really couldn't do the work that I've been doing so that's where I keep reinventing myself you see I've done so many things but yes I I had to figure out another way to work in photography I couldn't Mm -hmm. look you know 70 pounds equipment up and down steps like I used to in New York and that kind of thing or go and when Sam was born I I had illusions that because I saw it happening on the sets where other moms brought their babies to work and they had a nanny and, ah, you know, you it. made enough money 
that it it would have been possible to take him to work with me, but I was ill, and then we found out later on with him is that he has a severe brain illness. So that caused a lot of me being put in the back seat right? and me having to be a mother and advocate and figure out. And back then, the the Internet didn't exist. No one knew anything about these disorders in children. And he had a really tough time, and I did as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And that really took a toll on my marriage and his dad and I split up when he was a teenager and then things got really tough. So, and things are still tough as far as he is, he's severely disabled now. Um, He has another new diagnosis and he still lives at home with me. So I was talking to a friend last week and, mm-hmm. you know, he said, well, you know, aren't you going out with anyone? The same kind of thing like you're saying. I said, well, who would want ah. me, you know? Oh, I mean, my God. Really? That's the way I feel. I mean, who would tackle, really? who would want to tackle who I am and my ambitions? Because I'm not giving up on this, Cindy. I'm of taking this not. all the way to the end. You know, I waited sure. so long for this to happen. And mm-hmm. I'm not giving up. So that's number one. And number two, I'm not giving up on my son. So a lot of people have said, well, why don't you put him in an institution or why don't you do this or that? I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it unless it's a last resort. And my biggest concern is when I'm not here anymore, what's going to happen to him? So I'm really trying to find a solution so I can have some peace of mind with that too. So Sure. Well, that's no, why I, I don't have no, a boyfriend. You know, well, I can't kids, did you leave him that? alone, you know. We need a date for And I don't think how? anyone would want to. I did have boyfriends I after think. his dad and I split up, and they were mean to him, sure. you know. They didn't, they <gasps> wanted all my attention. And oh, right. they thought that he was just, you know, they didn't understand he was ill and thought his behavior was, um, what's the word I'm looking for, that he was doing it on purpose. And that's not the case. So, you know. <laughs> and I know oh, I've read goodness. about you a little bit, too. I know you understand when you have a child that has some medical issues. Yes. It's, it's a big, you know, it's, you are not it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of stress. I, I find this, I, I do, I find this very ironic. Um, I have to tell you, and that you are probably one of only three people on this show in almost four years that has ever made me cry on air ever. It's oh, pretty rare. Uh, let me tell you why I am. And I'll tell my listening audience why when Lynn and I were going back and forth on deciding if she was going to come on my show, et cetera, she had listened to um, one of my shows and I was talking about the universe and things. And I have come my very best friend, Sherry, who has taught me a great deal about the universe and, and what to put out there and what to believe. And she's helped me to discover who I am. And she, um, she has told me before that there are signs, there are, there are things that come to you at that moment. So there's a reason that you're on my show today. And yeah. what you just said answered one of my very big questions. 
So thank no. you for that. Uh, you don't know no, that, but you just did. Um, it's not very often that that happens. You know, it, it's, uh, I, I have a very similar situation. I met someone um, that I'm pretty sure that I have fallen in love with, and I've been very quiet because I've been seeing him for like four months now, and I kept pushing him away, and I kept pushing him away, and kept pushing him away. And, you know, um, there have been concerns, and you watch my well. You know, I've had some very large concerns about my son, yeah. Tristan. Um, my son is 10. Now, Kerwin, of course, is my seizure child, so I totally empathize with what you're saying because you know I've gone through three years of that, and now he is finally yeah. where he needs to be after three years. So I did the role that you did, of course. Um, and now my 10-year-old has been – well, it's no secret to anybody that knows me or follows me. I've been a bipolar patient for 30 years, and I've come to terms with that, and it's been a very long road, and I'm nowhere near the way I used to be. But nonetheless, I know what that life is like, and I have prayed very hard for my children to not live that way. Well, you know, Tristan has right. been displaying just a, a huge amount of things that are very troubling to me. And so ironically, I just left this man because we were out the other night and my son Tristan was doing some things that are that are that are I believe behaviors that he can't deal I mean that he just it's not all him. And so it's ironic that you right. said that because uh I told him I told this man, I said I can't see you if this is how you feel about my son. So very right. ironic. So thank you. Um, you've told me. Oh, that I made the right you're choice. welcome. It doesn't because... mean it's a good one. It just means it's a hard one. Okay. Then. I well, it, I'm better it's thing. hard to find people <laughs> that I love. Uh, I love you. I mean, I'm sorry you're going through that. <laughs> I, you it know, happens. You know, I it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough because when mothers, you know, you spend your whole life um, putting yourself into your child. And that this is kind of a good segue into talking about Sam because he was on my list. And to those of you that are listening right. and that don't know about Lynn, her son Sam has initial diagnosis was pediatric bipolar disorder. And as I had read in, at age 25, the last diagnosis was something very different. So to those that are listening in, and of course, as I said, I, of course, have been bipolar since I was 17. Um, so I wasn't pediatric necessarily. I was almost a you know teenager by that point. So talk to people a little bit because I think there's a big, this, I know there's a misnomer because people think I'm crazy. They think I'm going to try to kill them. They think that I have two heads. They think that I, you, know, you, you would be shocked. I've lost friendships. I've had people walk away from me. I've had them tell me I'm crazy. I've had my boyfriend say, you need more medicine. I've heard everything. And I'm like, you know what? At a certain point, I'm like, I'm embracing my crazy right now. Thanks. Get back to me later when my right. other head's talking to you. Because I'm like, I don't have two heads. I don't see Jerry Garcia. I don't walk around with a knife. I have a mental illness. I don't have enough serotonin in my head, okay? And I write really good because of it, so there. But I do think there is a link between bipolar and creativity, but that's a whole other show. What I bring to mind here is is that explain to people, because I've had to live with this, and I'm sure that you have plenty of experience in this realm. Explain to people, you know, that this misnomer about how far off base, how mentally unstable mental patients are in the mind of the world, per se. And I think bipolar is one right. of those disorders that's not talked as much about as, you know, if you're depressed, everybody gets clinical depression, manic depression, whatever. Bipolar is just not as, well, Catherine Zeta-Jones gets it. And then, oh, I discovered I had bipolar. I'm like, oh, great. Now the world knows about bipolar because Catherine Zeta-Jones has it. Wrong. Right. Some of us had it for a long right. time. So talk a little bit about your experience with a pediatric patient, obviously, versus a child, and then explain to us uh, how challenging that can be when you have a child like that. Was it a genetic thing? Did it come about, you know, 
gradually or was it something that you knew about or how did all of this come about and how did you manage with all that and how are you managing with it now like you started to talk about? Oh, God. Well, to go back to the beginning, um, you know, I there's no – you don't get a book when you become a parent. You don't – you know, you you blindly go into this parenting job and – but you also have mothers, for sure, have this mommy, I call it mommy gut instinct, where you just know something, something not right. And he exhibited separation anxiety when he was really little. Like, if I would leave, he, you know, it was really hard on him. You know, I still tried to work sure. and do, you know, photo shoots here and there and whatever to keep, keep myself out there um he he wouldn't sleep in a crib he wouldn't sleep in another room he was terrified he would cry and cry and cry and you know they tell you in the books oh let the baby cry it out well my husband and I would look at each other and I'm like I can't do it and he had to get up at six in the morning to go to work he worked on a paramedic ambulance so he had a really stressful job too and we're just like Sam ended up sleeping with us for years and wow. when he got bigger and had his own room he couldn't go to sleep at night I mean we always had a ritual where I'd read stories to, to you know so he would wind down but he wouldn't stay in his room by himself I would have to lay down with him until he went to sleep he okay. was terrified to be in there alone so now he has a new diagnosis of schizophrenia which occurred I don't know, a couple years ago when he was having some really, really bad manic episodes. And what happens as the kids get older is they refuse medication. So when Mm -hmm. he was 18, he wanted to live on his own. He accused me of, you know, he would read, he's very smart, so he would read books about the pharmaceutical industry and he would tell me and his psychiatrist together that, we were poisoning him and, you know, there was nothing wrong with him and he would go off his meds. So that doesn't help your brain either, especially if you're prescribed them as a child. So to get back to the childhood thing, for years we went on with all kinds of diagnosis. Um, when he was five or six, he told us he wanted to die. So I took him to a pediatric neurologist and they did a Oh, EEG. a sleep-deprived EEG. And, you know, the nurse told me in the 20 minutes he was hooked up to the machine, she said the chance of him having a seizure right now is just, you know, it's, it's, I've never seen it really happen. So then the, the doctor prescribed, he said, well, he has agitated depression because he would run around and just he was like a whirlwind, you know, dust devil. He would run, like if we would go into a doctor's office, he couldn't sit still. He would try to run out the door. He'd turn all the lights off. He'd be stabbing me with pencils. You know, he would be cussing me out. He would be kicking us. You know, it was just, he was scared probably to be in there. And I couldn't, you know, it was really hard controlling him. And he could, no school wanted him. Finally, I got him, you know, an individual education plan. And that was second grade after I held him back after being in private schools that couldn't accommodate him. And, you know, it was, mm-hmm. and I feel badly for him because he was so shunned 
and everyone told him what a bad kid he was. And, I mean, that's the biggest challenge, Cindy, is their self-esteem and confidence. Um, yep. They need to be in an environment where their strengths are noticed and mm-hmm. the behaviors that they're having, it has to be understood that they're stress-related. So, like you were saying the other night, your son was acting out or whatever, and right. Sam could never go out to a restaurant when he was little. All the people or the noise or the lights or, you know, there's just, he had so much overstimulation all the time. So gotcha. that triggers things. And there's just so many things you have to look at. His diet, I mean, we found out he was allergic to red dyes. That would set him off. We found out hydrogenated oil used to be in everything. He's allergic to that. It makes him, like, he would turn a knife on me. He would take a knife when he was 10 out of the kitchen drawer during the summertime after he ate an Eggo waffle for breakfast. So, I mean, just within 20 minutes after eating something. um, Burger King, you know, he's always wanting to I can tell what what kind of mood he's in if he's begging me to go to Burger King. Burger King (laughs) makes him sick. Okay, I okay. know if I let him eat Burger King, he's going to be yelling and screaming at me all afternoon because of what the oh, food goodness. does to his brain. He's so sensitive. So, I mean, this is such a long subject, and it's probably another, you know, hmm. conversation, another, another time. Show. But, <laughs> no, yeah, I understand. But what I, just, I finally was I able to important. do yeah, mm-hmm. was I found a book called The Bipolar Child. And it was written by Dimitri Popolos and his wife, co-authored with his wife. And Dimitri's mm-hmm. a, a child psychiatrist. He may be an adult psychiatrist as well. But he started focusing on different phenotypes of this disease where the children are manifesting bipolar disorder. Because the biggest problem okay. I had was the diagnosis. Because child psychiatrists back then, now maybe they're kind of coming to the game or to the party, should mm-hmm. I say. But right. back then, a child psychiatrist is indoctrinated in school not to ever diagnose, you know. I think that's why teenagers are the ones, like late teens, that's when you get diagnosed because they would never diagnose you that young, even if they thought you were. They might Got give it. you the medication for it, but they will never, because it's a very, and I've had psychiatrists yell at me and say, well, really? you think he's bipolar. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Well, I'm not, I can't, that's a serious, you know, mental illness, right. and I'm not diagnosing right. him. No one sure. wanted to do that. Damn. Well, I took right. him to New York City because I was working up there, and when we went to see Dimitri, it was it was just so life-giving because he just went, yeah, you know, you fill out a questionnaire, hmm. Um, he offers a treatment plan and he offers to work with whatever psychiatrist you have in the state where you are, because Mm -hmm. obviously he's on the East coast. If a crisis comes up, he can't come to the hospital or treat your child, but he can offer, he does Skype or phone consultations. He was down here a couple of years ago. Um, there was a symposium at one of the universities in Fort Myers and I, I saw him then, but he does a lot of, you know, he's someone I trust. Let's just put it that way. And so it's and very important. hard to find a doctor that you can trust with your child that the medication they're prescribing isn't going to make him worse. That's, right. you know, the side effects are sometimes worse than 
taking the mood stabilizers. But what I found with Sam is right. he needed, he can't do antidepressants. He needs a mood okay. stabilizer and he needs an antipsychotic on board. And he needs gotcha. something so he can go to sleep. If he can't oh, sleep, he becomes manic. And that's what happens with these kids, especially they overheat at night and they get really wild right before bedtime and they can't mm-hmm. go to sleep. And right. their circadian rhythms are messed up with this diagnosis. So they finally fall into that deep REM sleep like at dawn mm. when yeah. they're supposed to be getting up to go to school. And then you can never sure. get them up to go to school. And then there's this battle. It's, that was our biggest nightmare, trying to get him to go to school. And then he would beg me, I'm going to have a bad day. I'm going to have a bad day. Please don't make me go uh, there. And if I made him yeah. go, inevitably I would be called to come pick him up. So, you know, what do you Goodness. do with that? Finally, for high school, I said, that's it. And we did Florida virtual school. And then he finally got his GED. But, gotcha. you know, I had, he okay. was a great musician as a young teen. And hmm. I really had hopes for him that he could have gotten a scholarship to the Berkey School. But oh. when he turned 18, and that was when he was 17, but when, you know, he just he crashed on me. And I don't hmm. know how to get him back, you know. He still plays a little bit, you know. But it's just for him now, it's just getting through a day. And I'm just right. trying to keep him alive. I can't leave him alone. I can't work you know what I mean I need to work at home or I have to work you know his dad and I are still very close and his dad helps me because I can't find anyone who else is going to help me with him true you know who's going to understand what we're going through and his dad didn't even understand for many years he finally does I mean still he's bipolar he's diagnosed bipolar as well so that became a big issue with him like Oh, I'm being blamed for this. And, you know, no, you're not being blamed, but you're not taking care of yourself either. And you're making it worse on me. Gotcha. Because now I have to take care of both of you instead of you helping me. You know what I mean? So, and I think a lot of families go through that. I'm on a lot of private groups on Facebook where it's mostly mothers. But, you know, if you want in on that and maybe need some information, meet people in your area that can give you some advice or just if you want to vent, it it goes nowhere. It's just between us and there's a lot of, you know, I see things on there every day. It just, my heart just breaks for everyone. I want it to go it away. Is. I want very to fix hard. It. I'm that kind of person. Yes. I want to fix things. I don't want oh, it to no, be like I get it for us. I do. But no one I don't cares. want to forget to no mention. No one cares about the mentally ill, to be, you know, be honest. To be honest? Uh, nobody really gives a crap. <laughs> So, oh, there would Gosh, be better I'm glad services you came on the show. <laughs> oh my <laughs> oh, goodness gracious! You have no because... <laughs> idea how many things you're answering for me in this show. And wait till we get to the end. That's She's so really awesome. gonna be crying. I don't want to forget about this because I brought him up for a reason. Obviously, to those of you um, that haven't checked it out, in December of 2014, there was an actual uh, piece done in Good Housekeeping, the magazine, of course, on your, cell, in your son's battle. So I want to make sure to, right. to remind everybody, if you want to go back and take a look at that, you can read that in December of uh, 2014. Now, also, I wanted to mention in 2015, fire in, the Fire in My Brain website, because I couldn't actually find the 
the site itself. Maybe I'm just stupid. But talk to me about no, that. No, I, I took important. it down. I didn't like it. I have oh, another, I'm sorry. I have another photo essay on it's this great couple. They have a company called Visura. It's spelled okay. V-I-S-U-R-A, Photo Visura. Okay. And I put an essay up there. And actually the woman who co-owns it with her husband, she's the one that helped me get the interview with the gal at Good Housekeeping or Red Book. I don't remember which one came oh, nice. out first. And okay. that really helped with the fundraising because when Sam was diagnosed with schizophrenia, I read that the gray matter, once they have that diagnosis, the gray matter in their brain just dissolves so quickly. They need treatment, mm-hmm. like extensive treatment. So number one, I wanted to make sure that that really was the appropriate diagnosis. So I wanted to take him to a better facility than what we have here in Florida. Right. Florida is a really bleak place for any kind of psychiatric care. And I mean, we're lucky we have what we have, but you know, if I had a lot of money, I would definitely go to another state and, and, you know, put him in some kind of residential treatment for a, a few months so he could learn more life skills and, you know, but I have to gotcha. make Blonde Voodoo success first. You know, I've got to get some fun Oh, no, together. I get it. So I, I totally can, get it. That's no. really why I'm doing this. I'm unearthing this project from 25 years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, want, I've always wanted to do it, but if I can be successful, then I can help Sam. You know, it's, it's a yeah. two-way positive road to follow here, so... I totally get what you're talking about. I do. But I wanted to mention that because I thought about the website, too, and I was like, okay. Well, sorry about that. I yeah, didn't I didn't like it, it down. so I, I just got okay. rid of it. Um, sure. That's why you couldn't find it. But there is a photo Well, there you go. Now, I thought I was a bad journalist. See? You're lucky you cleared that up because <laughs> no, I was thinking no. bad journalist. Bad journalist. Bad journalist. You're not no, doing no. your job. Okay. Now, I want to switch gears again. We're going to go back to the personal thing because, frankly, if we don't, I'm going to cry again. And I've already cried twice. Stop it already. Okay, so on the personal side of things, we're going to talk a little bit about this. This is what I found out about Lynn. Number one, huge fan of all Chicago sports. Not just one, apparently, because according to her entire Facebook, it's Chicago everything for some strange reason. So she's a huge fanatic of Chicago sports. My guess is you either have a boyfriend there or you're from there or you just love Chicago. No, I was born and raised outside of Chicago. That's what I saw. And Bingo. I wasn't really a big fan of the sports until um, the man I married is also from the Chicago area and Sam's dad. Ah, so that was something it. that he he and Sam still have that in common. And so that's something that we do together. And then I moved to Florida when my dad passed away. And my mom was a huge Chicago Cubs fan. And Sam would always watch the Chicago Cubs games with her. And I wish she was still alive because finally this year they're they're doing better. Kidding, <laughs> so, eh? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, look She's at like that. the angels in the outfield story. You remember that movie? Oh, oh yes, mom, I do. I totally do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, listen to this. Oh, my God. I, can, I don't even know if I can say all this. Just, just listen to this book. And this is all part of her itinerary, meaning her life itinerary. She's been to New York City, Arizona, California, Florida, Illinois, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, France, Peru, Fiji, and New Zealand. Holy hell. Is there anywhere you haven't been yet? 
Well, I haven't been to all the places I want to be. I have a huge bucket list. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it. I haven't been oh, to Greece. Really? Oh, no. Yeah. I really want to go to Greece. Oh. I've never been to Italy. Okay. I haven't been to Italy. <gasps> Me neither. Lots oh, my of gosh. Places. At this I've never rate. been to India. Yeah, I've never been to Tibet. There's lots of places I would like to go. I'd love to go, it. you know, do more in the South Pacific. I've never even been to Hawaii. I'm sure you- and I'm sure you'd love to come to Wisconsin, where I am, where it's Midwestern crap, road construction, cold all the time. <laughs> well, sure I got out of there, here. Cindy, for a good reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. there, thanks yeah. a lot. Appreciate that. Why yeah. don't I have a hurricane here? Thank you, Jesus. Then I have to sit here and right. worry about you people with your little hurricane to stuff. It's me snow. a heart attack. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, don't, thanks. She had to put that in the universe. Thank you. <laughs> when it snows tomorrow, so guess who I'm calling? You. It won't snow I, today. We don't put that out there, okay? <laughs> One of those things. And not surprisingly, because she is a celestial sort, so it didn't shock me that her uh, a range of music, which I happen to like, too. I'm a huge Sade fan, huge UB40 fan. Obviously, Bob Marley, B.B. King, oh, my God. But the really kick-ass part about you is you like Maleficent. Uh, Maleficent is like my hero. I know that's bad to say, isn't it? Because she kills her ex, and that's probably wrong. But I like her. She is a badass villain. And I'm like, Lynn she can is. be a Maleficent. I mean, you're not oh, going to yeah. kill anyone. But, like, you can totally be a Maleficent. out of my hands a lot. <laughs> Ouch. Note to self, don't piss Lynn off. She will right. curse People you. Right, people should Got understand it. that. <laughs> she has the power because she brought it back with her kids. Thank you. And you also, I saw... It's listed here that you do both Spanish and French-based languages. So I was curious to see how fluent you actually were and if that was part of your travels, like you learned because you were traveling there, or were you already fluent in that before you did that stuff? I studied Spanish in college, but okay. I never got the hang of the conversational. I mean, I can I can understand what part of what you're saying to me, but I don't have someone to talk to every day where – Ah. I, I totally understand. But when I was in the Dominican Republic for a number of months, because that's where most of the filming of The Serpent and the Rainbow was done, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I got by fine. If, if I'm in, engrossed in the culture, I pick it up. And the same with um, the Creole in Haiti. I When okay. I first went there, I couldn't speak to anyone because they didn't speak Spanish. They didn't speak English. They didn't speak French. Mm-hmm. They speak a patois. So I had, hmm. you know, it was hard. But I studied the missionary books that you can buy with the dictionaries. And, you know, eventually I learned new words every day. I did okay. I mean, I'm not fluent in either one. I can't say that I am anymore. But I think, okay. you know, you can, you can make if you go around. somewhere – and you need it to survive, then it'll kick in. Gotcha. Okay, you know, I understand you so whatever, you're going to go, okay, how do I say that? No, I get it. I do. Now, um, I want to switch gears a second because we talked about a bit about the photography and the writing side of things. So to those that are listening, because I have a whole bunch of people that are in this area of spe- or specialty area or are curious about this. Nowadays, we live in a society, and you know this all too well, where social media is the, is the bomb. It's the thing. It's the key to success in some areas and such. Mm-hmm. So I thought you'd give us a 30-second spiel on, since you are a social media marketing strategist. You love that? That's a really great title. That means like she's really important with social media or something, right? 
I'm guessing. I don't even know what the hell that is. So we're going to have you talk about that really important title that you have. And do tell us the number one thing that you believe, because you are a, quote, I'm going to guess, expert in this field. Why is it that you think that we have turned from personalization necessarily to the social media marketization? Because I really do think it's transformed. And in some ways, I don't know that it's a good thing. Do you know what I mean? Because social media yeah. kind of detaches us a bit. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Okay. I think it's so easy now how Facebook has grown. And mm-hmm. and this is just from a personal standpoint. Um, people have found me on there that I have not spoken to in some, you know, many, many, many years. And that's the nice thing about it, too, that you can connect with people. But it it's a lot of it is superficial because, it's not like picking up the telephone. It's not like making a lunch date and saying, well, let's go, you know, do this together. Um, I'm very isolated because of my situation with my son. So, mm-hmm. and I live in Florida now. When I lived in New York, it was different. I could go out and do sure. things every day. That was better for me in a way. But I just couldn't imagine taking with the difficulties he has with stimulation. I just I couldn't do that to him. So instead of getting a good job up there, I just was like, all right, we're going to stay down here. Whether that was a good idea mm-hmm. or not, I'm getting a little off track here. But what it goes back no, to okay. is, um, I never thought the social media would blow up the way it has, and mm-hmm. it's such a wonderful way. You can connect with people you don't know, but you admire to see Mm -hmm. what they're posting or what they're doing or what they're eating, whether it be a celebrity or just anyone. I mean, that's something that's really useful. But it's also made people – I do work for area restaurants. So say someone goes in and has a meal at a restaurant and – Okay. They don't like it. There's something they don't like mm-hmm. about their experience there. And instead okay. of calling the manager over to the table, because maybe they don't feel comfortable doing that. Maybe it's just, sure. you know, they don't want to say anything while they're there. But they leave mm-hmm. the restaurant and they have their smartphone or they go home and they get on social media and they rip that place a new one out of what happened and, you know, this was wrong and this was terrible and so on sure. and so forth. So it's given people way more power that I think as consumers, it's totally changed everything where you would, I think advertising was always the ones who were telling us, this is what you need to buy. You know, by the way, they made campaigns. Now it's kind of in reverse. Now it's the consumers saying, well, this sucks, and I don't like this, but I do like this. And the people mm-hmm. that like something are followed, then other people are sheep. They jump on board. So I think that sure. really has to be paid attention to, if that makes any sense. And I think that's why oh, it's, no, I get it. it's going to keep growing and growing and growing. I know. It empowers know. people. And whether that's I good or bad, I don't know, but I don't think we're going to stop it. No, I agree with you. If anything else, it's going to increase. Yeah. As you're saying. I get you. I do. Okay. And I got into it just because I had to start promoting myself so I could get this project going. Because Mm -hmm. in order to get, you know, I'm going to self-publish. 
if a publisher wants to pick me up, that's great. But they're not going to want me unless they can see that I have a following, that people are interested in what I'm talking about. And the only way to prove that is mm-hmm. by marketing and social media. I know. I so do. I do. You have to have I a know. Platform. And I've had to learn how to do it, too. Yeah, and it's tough. Well, I mean, it's you've got a radio show. You're way far ahead of me. So well, that's awesome. Well, I know. But, you know, I'm not a, a radio person. You know, the first time I did this, I was like, I just do stuff because I'm a writer. I mean, I've been a writer for a long time. Yeah. And I'm like, I just want to write, so let me do anything I want to write. And I get to swear on here, and then I get to make people cry, and I get to, like, do all this really cool <laughs> stuff. And it's, like, totally awesome. I mean, I get to, like, do over some that come on here, and they totally don't even know that they're hot. I don't have to look nice i could be in pajamas for all you know right now i'm not That's today right. but i could be i could be drinking and sucking one down right now i wish but no i'm not but you get what i'm saying it's it's no, the first no. of the job and that's what can the positive I part of it you can be yourself you know right you really can. exactly oh i know i did see now you got me off track and i forgot to ask the important question because i asked every person that comes on this show this is probably the most important question i'm gonna ask but don't get it wrong okay you're from chicago See, now there's this guy that I've been wanting to come on my show. He's on my top five must interview list. He's my best friend in my head, like Wendy Williams would say. And, you know, he's an actor, and he's from Chicago. And I know Lynn's going to say, I got his phone number in my back pocket. I'll get him on your show. Here we go. I know you can do it, Lynn. It's actor Michael Madsen. It's Michael Madsen. I've been asking everyone on this show. I've been trying for a year to get this man on my show, over a year if you want to be technical. But I know you have his number, and I just know you can hook me up because that's kind of where you are. Well, I, feel I don't no have coming. his number, but I, I, feel maybe I know someone oh. that does. Oh. Oh. <gasps> don't tease. Don't get me worked up because this isn't funny. We'll this have is serious to business. This. I will give a leg for this, maybe. A child? No, I can't do that. Okay, I'll think of something. But I've been trying forever, and I'm like, come on. And you know what the worst part is? I'm ridiculously proud. I know people that could probably do something about it. But instead, oh, no, Cindy's got to be like, well, I'm talented, and he should want to come on my show, and I'm going to earn it. You're a dumbass, Cindy. But I keep trying. So thanks, son, for not having his phone number. On to the next great thing. (laughs) Great. Just as a testament so you people know, Two different awards she received, 1990, the New York Foundation for the Arts Fellowship, and then from 96 to 98, the Arizona Commission of the Arts grant recipient for both of those. So that tells you a little something about her. I personally am going to brag for a moment because I have looked at her work, and I can tell you right now two things that I like. The worshiper in it's S-A-U-T, sought, sought to, I can't pronounce it, it's so so Yes, waterfall. Oh, my God, do I love that picture. And then you did oh, one of the Gasparia Island. And that was the other one. And I was like, oh, my God, these are totally kick-ass. And I have to talk about that because that's awesome. So let's talk about your art a little bit, art slash photography slash your pieces and creations. I know that they've been in all sorts of different institutions within private collections. Um, tell me the first time or the first place that you ever exhibited and what that experience is like. Because most artists, including me, remember their first sale, their first book, their first whatever have you. Um, tell me the first place you ever showed. And if I were to ask you today – if there was one place in the entire country that you would want to show your work, where would it be? Oh, wow. Well, I didn't see that coming. I'll have to think about I know. That that's my job. Okay. We can um, go back to that. Think on that if you want. Yeah, let me think about that. Okay, good. I mean, All right. What, I mean, to go back on, you know, where the first one. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, let me think here. <laughs> 
You can sing out the door. I did work. Before I went to Haiti, I did a personal project uh, on the homeless Okay. in Venice Beach, California. Okay. And that was at the time when Ronald Reagan uh, closed down all the psych hospitals. And he said that the patients would be able to go to outpatient care to receive their medication, and that would be cheaper for them, you know, but there was no plan as to where they were going to live, so they ended up living Mm -hmm. in vacant lots in their cars. I found people living in trees and parks. Um, They were not taking their medication. They were strung out on drugs or, you know, drinking. So, you know, I, I went around and I spent my days photographing them and talking to them and taking statements of how they felt about their situation. I think that work was in a book called The European Photography. I don't know that it was in a show, but that, that I think, will become something that will, after I get through, you know, I can only do so much. It's just me. If I had some assistants working with me when I have more mm-hmm. income, I'll do that, but Sure. You know, that work, I think, will be important just because we're still in that crisis with, you know, not having any care for mental health in this country. So, oh, no. I totally get it. Um, I do. Okay. I did a project before that one in downtown Skid Row, mm-hmm. and that was funded when I lived in Topanga. I was lucky my neighbors... Um, were the Wilsons and Michael produces the James Bond films and his oh, wife was okay. involved with a nonprofit and they were a group of women I don't know um but they were raising funds for a nonprofit daycare in Skid Row because the illegal immigrants would lock their kids in these fire trap hotels and work in the sweatshops downtown and it was dangerous, you know, the place caught on fire and, you know, plus it wasn't a good environment for a child. So they saw a need and um, I was supported with film and, and whatever I needed to downtown Los Angeles and make images of these kids. And that was shown at a luncheon. My photographs were shown to the mayor. So that was like, you know, that was one of the first times I felt like, oh, well, you know, someone's appreciating what I'm doing. And that's sure. the work I used to get into the Ansel Adams workshop. But then going nice. on from there, um, I was able to launch and print, which is it's very expensive to be an artist and not have any mm-hmm. backing or, oh, fun, yeah. you know, people who fund you. Yep. But when I got the fellowship from the New York Foundation for the Arts, I put together an exhibition and I had a solo exhibition at the visual studies workshop in Rochester. And then they kept the work for a long time and I don't think they had much luck with it. You know, I I just think that timing with some certain subject matters, things you do in life are are very important. Mm -hmm. I don't think people understood it. They were afraid of it. I don't know. I've always felt the photographs were good. So I, I wasn't, you know, that didn't bother me. I just feel okay. like people didn't understand what it was and 
we were able to create an altar and what they have in Haiti is called a poteau mitan and it's a pole that they paint in bright colors and okay. the pole is in the center of the the peristyle is uh the voodoo church so to speak it's where the ceremonies are held and oh, okay in the voodoo culture they believe that in that pole goes is goes into the cosmos and when they start their rituals with the drumming and the rattles and the singing and their offerings that that's how the spirit comes down to the ceremony to possess the initiates or or the voodoo priest and you know help them. So wow. I was able to um, paint a pole, and that was part of you know the visual studies workshop. I think it may still be there. Who knows? Maybe someone threw it out by now. But that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. And I did an altar and I painted the symbols on the walls. And you know I I can see that doing that again. And as far okay. as where I would want the work to go. I want it to go everywhere. I, you know, this is an mm. education for everyone to understand. Um, it's really about shamanism. You know, voodoo is shamanism, and okay. it's a collective consciousness that we all have. We all have that ability to tune into, and that's what shamans do. They tune into, you know, our ancient ancestors. To there's guardian spirits that help us and that's what voodoo does and that's how the people survive there and they brought that with them from africa right so i mean that's what needs to be understood it's not something where people are turning into zombies although you know that's what the serpent and the rainbow was about the zombie powder but that's something a very small part of what could happen in haiti it's right. not the general population. There's not voodoo dolls that are used in ceremonies. Yeah, you'll see them in the Iron Market. And, you know, I saw one. I was watching a film with Sam a couple nights ago. It was one of the Pirates of the Caribbean. And Blackbeard, the pirate, had a voodoo doll of Johnny Depp. And oh, he right. Like, <laughs> manipulating it. I'm like, oh, my God, here we go, you know. And that's what people get the impression that sure. that word is so bad. Um, oh, I know. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping to convert some people um we'll see what happens i mean you i know you have said this and and that's one of the questions i had for you about now this is your haitian influence of course because obviously lynn is extremely influenced by haitian culture haitian beliefs etc now one of the things i thought was neat was that you talk about it in terms of it being a world of song and dance and hope and you're taught the power of prayer there and that all stems from love which is actually quite a very uh, peaceful concept, one that we should probably incorporate here, which is nowhere near enough, obviously in this country. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that they're in their um, belief structure. They view all as an opportunity for growth, good or bad, et cetera, meaning that they teach you strength because no matter what, everything is almost an opportunity for growth and a learning experience. So talk a little bit about how, some of these belief systems have developed you into the person you are today, the person we're talking to now. Well, for example, um, I talk about this in my YouTube video for the Indiegogo campaign. Uh, Mm -hmm. Voodoo is a system of belief that there are no accidents and no event has a life of its own. So here we are, Cindy, you and I have been thrown together and this is going to probably be a friendship for the rest of our lives. 
And that well, was no, have no idea in my mind. I mean, <laughs> yes. something yes. told you when I sent those, you know, emails out to people saying, hey, would you look at my project? Sure. Well, you never know who's going to respond. You responded and you sure. said, hey, you know, do you want to be on my show? Mm-hmm. That wasn't an accident yeah. as far as what a Haitian, someone in the Haitian culture would believe. And I believe that too. I mean, I think that okay. we, our ego, and that's, and that's, shamanism as well we have a soul Mm -hmm. and we have an ego and our ego is sometimes telling us to do things that are maybe not for our highest good so if you're setting an intention like you were talking about you need to ask Mm -hmm. your guardian spirits is this for my highest good to do this to say this to be with this person to you know whatever and you know i wonder and there's so much going on now just in our country that just seems right. so mean-spirited. And I'm not going to get into politics at all, but, you know, you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Yes, uh, I do. People are, are, are like, they find power in picking on talking down or picking on another person. Mm-hmm. Which yes. That's not coming from a place of love. I want, and I've no. always come from a place of love. I mean, sure, I get angry and I want revenge if someone is, right. you know, I think that. I don't really, but, you know, if someone hurts you, you, you say, hey, you know, I'm going to get back at you. You know, you think that. Right. But I also believe in karma. And I've had plenty of hurt, hurtful experiences in my life. That's just part of living. Sure. But I also believe in karma. And I think that, the universe is going to take care of us and depending on our actions. So, um, and I think if you do something that you're not proud of, you can also make amends for that as well, especially if, you know, there's forgiveness as well. So, you know, I may be getting, oh, off, getting off a little track here from the Haitians. No, 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 but, but no, but, um, and, and I, ironically I saw, didn't they just get hit by a hurricane recently? That was oh, pretty God, recent, right? It's terrible. It's terrible. I imagine. Yeah. It's a humanitarian it so disaster bad. again. Yeah. Well, right, and and it's a little different when a place like that gets hit versus a place like Florida. I mean, it's a catastrophe no matter what, obviously, but it just it saddens and dampens the soul because it's like you have no idea how much tragedy, how much chaos, how much destruction can happen from a natural disaster of sorts such as this. And the reason I asked you about the well, Haitian they're not even over the earthquake they had ten, six years. I know. Ago, so I know, right? But you talk and, about and that's the, the sad prayer. part. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, now, I saw a re- video a couple of days ago, and okay, and a guy was showing. He said, "Here comes Matthew. Pray for us." You know, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, they pray their asses off there, and they taught me how to pray my ass off, because a lot hmm. of times I was scared. It's like I'm in a bad situation here, and I don't know how I'm going to make it through, and how I'm, you know." Oh, I'm going to, because there's so much, there is violence there. And I don't want to talk about that because I don't want to focus on the bad things there. But, you know, there's people that are disruptive and they don't have a stable government. They don't even have a president right now. They were supposed to have elections on Sunday. And now, of course, that's going to be canceled because of the hurricane. Sure. So, right. uh, Yeah. They've got a long way to go. So I brought that up. Oh, I know. And that's and that of course is part and parcel 
your Indiegogo campaign, which is one of the reasons that I had you on the show, of course. Now, keep in mind, folks, that this ends as of October 26th, which means you have a little less than three weeks or so. Now, there's two different components of this. First of all, um, just to let you guys know, this is a self-finance project in case she hadn't mentioned that. So, of course, obviously, she has been paying for her own travel. She's been paying for her own film. She's been paying for mounting exhibits, everything that goes along with this. And these are repeated trips, mind you. So take into consideration all that she's putting into this. The name of the project is called Blonde Voodoo, obviously. So what I want you to talk about is the campaign itself, what you're attempting to raise, how much you're attempting to raise. And do tell us why this project is significant enough for somebody to invest their time, their efforts, and their money into? Well, I feel it's significant because Haiti Haiti has had a bad rap forever and ever and ever. And I can prove to you through my photographs and words that, you know, the experience I had there taught me a lot about life. And I can teach you something about yourself in this book. So that's, you know, mm-hmm. and there's no minimum amount, really. I mean, I'm the type of person where I want to support someone and I'm, you know, I don't have the budget to spend a lot. Right. I still will send in a, a small amount of money just to let that person know I'm thinking of them. And that means a lot to me. So don't feel badly if you don't have enough money, if you think, oh, I don't have enough to make a significance because if enough people do that then I'm going to make my first goal so the budget is three-tiered my goal is I need help so I have to hire a designer to help me you know make this into an ebook to begin with and then I want to if I get enough money then I will move on and I can also do an on-demand program online but I again, I need money right. to hire a creative team. I need money to pay for, you know, the conversion of the ebook number one. So the first tier, if I can acquire forty three hundred dollars, I think I'm about at a thousand okay. now. So if I can okay. get a little bit more money, I can at least get the ebook version done. Then speech gotcha. two. I can keep going with the same design. It just has to be converted, and I can do a print-on-demand soft cover paperback. And got it. That's more complex because it's an art photo memoir, so I've got 100 images, 200 pages. I mean, that's almost $6,000 right there just for a designer. Wow. And I haven't hired anyone yet. If there's someone who would like to work with me on this project and – cut me a deal, please get in touch with me. I would, you know, really be open to that, and I would be very, very grateful. Um, gotcha. So stage two cost is about $7,800. Then if I gotcha. can, you know, get all that together, then the next step is the marketing, and that's huge. You know, right. I have to do all of that oh, myself or hire a publicist. Mm-hmm. So, and you know what that's like. You have to promote oh, yeah. consumers, librarians, mm-hmm. booksellers. Yep. Industry professionals, um, but my final goal, and you know, go on a book tour if I have the funds to do that. My final goal is to sell the story uh, to, for film rights because it will be a great film in Haiti, and it's historical mm-hmm. now. So you know, there may be some things that have been destroyed by the earthquake that would be a workaround, but. You know, that's what a screenplay 
is written mm-hmm. in a way so it's, you know, you can make that happen. Things are left out, things are added, whatever, to make it a good story. So, you know, I'm also, if anyone would like to start working with me on the screenplay, please get in touch with me. Here I am. I'm um, ready to, to rock and roll. And I'm and like you calling me, and we're connected. Someone, that's why I did this campaign. It's not even so much about the money. Yes, I need right. the money. But it's about reaching out to the universe and saying, here I am. This is what needs to happen. Find me the people that want to do this with me. So here we are. We'll see what happens. Isn't she amazing? That's all I can say at that second to that. I I just can't. I'm not giving up. Failure is not an option. Okay. Now there's a few things that we need to go through here. Oh, my God. Didn't this time go fast? Like seriously, didn't it's seem like we just started talking. talking. To you. You're awesome. Seriously, well, see, I get the sense that, and this is why I keep doing radio because in the beginning I was like, I don't. First of all, I sound like a boy, and don't tell me I don't because I've listened to myself. I was forced to oh, when I wrote on. my last book. I had to listen to all these interviews, and I'm like, I sound like a dude. It's embarrassing. I don't sound like a girl. I sound like a boy. That's number one. Number two, I'm like. I know nothing about radio, so I had to learn all of this. And here we are four years later, and the reason I keep doing it is because people are like, oh, my God, it's like, it's like a conversation. It's not like, you know, you would never know there's 50,000 people listening. Or you would never know that, you know, there's all these people that are critiquing or I get comments about things. It's amazing right. to me um, right. that this is – it's become – a nice dance that I do. Um, you know, it's one of those things. So it's gone very quickly. So there's a couple of different business things we need to do. And then if you've listened to my show, you know how I end my show, right? Which means I get to tell you what I think of you. You're going to like that. Um, I want you to be quiet a minute because I'm going to read off all the various ways that people can find you because this is an important component here. So I'm going to tell you folks, okay. first of all, she has a personal Facebook page and I'm going to spell her name only because Lynn always has different variations. It's L-Y-N-N-E. Excuse me. And the last name is spelled Warburg. It's W-A-R-B-E-R-G. So that's how you find her personally. Then, of course, she has her photographer page, which is, of course, Lynn Warburg Photographer. She also has a Facebook page for Blonde, and Voodoo is uh, on the Facebook page. It's spelled V-O-U-D-O-U in order to find it, and it's Blonde, B-L-O-N-D, Blonde Voodoo. She is on Twitter, which is at, and then, of course, again, Lynn, and then Warburg, W-A-R-B-E-R-G. Also, she's on YouTube, IMDB, of course, LinkedIn, uh, she has her Indiegogo campaign, which I, of course, have posted up on all my various different places. And then she is at the Vita Brevis Photography.wordpress.com. And also, um, why well, I can't read my own damn writing. I know that there's another one, right? Which is S O, is it S O A T? So, why? Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? That other website that you have? So, is it so, sotenart.com? Am I saying that wrong? Probably, aren't I? I don't know. I think you gave that one to me, which is why I listed it. Cause there was a bunch that Lynn gave me. And then during the course of researching you, I had found obviously different places where I was able to find you. Oh, that's it. Oh, Saucy. Saucy. That's, that's where it. I sell yeah. um, my prints and that helps too. So yes. if you would like to own one of my photographs, you can go on there or contact me that's it. directly. Yes. We can, and that's another thing I didn't mention. Well, I'll let you finish, Cindy. I don't want to interrupt, but I'm going to do a No, no, no. That was, no that, was, that was the last one, as a matter of fact. Did I miss any place, or is there any other place that people oh, can no, find you Oh, no, that's Sachi that? Arts. Okay, good. And good. 
I am offering, I'm going to do, for all those who have already donated to the Indiegogo campaign, um, Indiegogo has, um, how do I say this? They offer ways to help you get more donors, so to speak. So okay. I'm going to do okay. um, a contest and for the person who brings in either the most amount of money or the most amount of referrals who then donate will receive yes. a print that I'm going to make. Um, it'll be a digital archival print, and I'm going to do black and white. Um, oh, nice. I spent some time. Nice. I don't know if you know who Catherine Dunham was, but when she was living, Vaguely I spent some time at her okay. estate in Haiti. It was okay. in the um, outskirts. And I have okay. some beautiful black and white images that I just kind of unearthed a little while ago. And I'm like, you know, I should print these. So, And I'm sure that that place was destroyed in the earthquake. I'm not sure. So I have some images okay, that I'm going to print. And that would be your prize if you win. So, um, so basically worth- it's you're not going to offer me like an interview with Michael Madsen then instead <laughs> as a prize? Damn you have it. already given me so much. I hope I can do that. Oh, Let me see who I know who knows me. him. I you're don't know. You're killing me. That's okay. Now that I've covered that stuff, we've covered the Indiegogo campaign, all that good stuff. Um, okay, so this is what I'm going to tell you, and you might cry before it's over because I've been known to make people cry on my show. You know, <laughs> it, it happens. I don't know why, but they do, and probably because I'm so damn sincere. So in, in listening to you go on and on about this wonderful campaign that you have, the first thing that I was thinking was, oh, she mentioned screenwriter. I don't know if you know this or not, but I've been a writer for 20 years, and I've written four films. I'm pretty sure I can help you with that. I'm pretty really? sure I can help you with a publicist. I'm pretty sure I could help you find a designer. I'm pretty sure I could help you with any damn thing you want. All you got to cool. do is be nice to me. And, well, and maybe Michael Madsen. Did I mention that again? Here oh, we go. Fine. If I could have a husband, that would be even lovelier, but okay, we're not going to go there. So the last thing I want to do is to talk this about what I think a about bit you. Of trouble sometimes. <laughs> go they're ahead. kind of a pain in the ass. Don't lie. Okay, yeah, they're just kind of a pain in the ass, and we're not going to gonna lie about that. Yes, there you go. So the last thing I get to do is to tell you what I think of you, and, and luckily so because I, like a fool, my phone is at like 13%, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, we did almost a two-hour interview. No wonder my phone's dying because she's talking my ear off, which is great. So these are my impressions. Impre- oh, see, I'm already nervous because it's going to upset me. These are my impressions of Lynn, folks, to those of you that do not know her. Um there are two things that stand out in my mind about her. That the first time she approached me um, on Facebook, from what I can recall, our conversation was for her to reach out to me in my time of need as it related to my child. There is no greater testament to the character of another person in my mind when they reach out to help another human being that's a virtual stranger. Not because they have to, but because they choose to. This would not be the first time. And just very recently, she had just shared a post from my dear friend, Phil Marish, who obviously, of course, is the heart transplant individual that I'm working so hard to raise money for, who is, by the way, at the doctor today, who's not feeling so well. So I am terribly nervous. So Phil and Amber, as they already know, I'm very nervous and I'm praying. But, of course, that leads back to Lynn. She was so gracious as to put this on her page and say, I would rather give my money to a literal stranger versus blah, 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 which was very touching to me. So that tells you a little something about her heart base, for one. I am always gravitating to individuals with like minds and like hearts. So first and foremost, she has a heart that's very similar to mine. Obviously, any person who has lived with, dealt with, and battled the uh, the bipolar 
uh, monster, as I call it, always gets high props in my book, not because of the fact that you have a child that suffers from a disorder, but because of the fact that without you, without your strength, without your perseverance, and without your support, I don't think that there are many people out there that realize, and I can speak, I have not had a family base. I have not known what it is like to have a mother who was willing to give up everything for something to help me fight my battle. So second of all, you should know from one of us to you how much you are cherished for your strength in character, for your strength in will, for your strength in heart, and for your sacrifice for the things that you do to ensure that people like us have sanity and stability and feel love and courage. You are to be commended for that. That's number two. Number three, you have a passion and a purpose in this Indiegogo campaign. With every picture that you take, with every piece of art that you create, you're making a statement, you're living your passion, and you're making your dream come true. That is something that not everyone gets a chance to do. You work hard at it, you self-fund it, and you maintain the fact that despite all obstacles, you are going to make a dream come true. You're going to make a notion a reality. You're going to change the way someone thinks about something, a culture, a community, a way of living, and you're going to put it in print and put it in picture. That alone is phenomenal. The fact that you're financing it is phenomenal. And more importantly, the fact that you're chasing your dream and you refuse to give it up despite your obstacles. Again, a huge beacon of strength, number three. Number four, it wasn't until I met my best friend that I believed very recently that there are reasons, as you said, for everything. In one conversation today, I can honestly tell you that of every interview I've done in almost four years, today is the first time, three times, that God has given me an answer through you. So it is I that find myself very grateful for having a guest like you because you have answered a good deal of my prayers and I cannot thank you enough and you are a vessel And for that, I am very, very grateful. And most importantly, the last thing you need to know, and what you may not know, is on that docket of four films that I wrote, one of them is a bipolar disorder documentary designed solely and exclusively to provide funds for people that cannot fund their own medication to raise awareness. Mm -hmm. And I would be tickled pink if your family would consider the idea of participating in my project with me. And that I believe very strongly in. Well, I know a lot of like you. <laughs> I know I like a lot of people who who have the same diagnosis. It's it's we get along. Let's put it that way. I understand. Yes. I, I don't know why, yes. but I do. And um, I have a lot of friends who have the same diagnosis. So I'm it's sure sad. we can very make some good things happen for all of us. Yay! I mean, Yay! We're all in this together. We can't do this alone. No Right? We cannot, and I'm so grateful that you you had me on your show, and I we were able to talk. I liked it. Yay! Oh and my god! I'm sorry, I mean you, you didn't cry, get knocked but... out. Oh my god! Right? It's like ridiculous. She comes on my show, and I'm nice to her, and look what happens. She ends up making me cry. Thanks a lot. I didn't know if that was going to be part of the deal. But I no, cry I'm just all the time. So. Oh goodness! See, and I'm and I'm very very happy that you were you were not kicked off, you know, because that was a big thing. Like you mentioned, of course, the hurricane and the weather and all that stuff. I was a little concerned about whether this was going to go on or not. So kudos on that. And I will keep reposting um, the campaign, of course. And obviously, off air, we'll talk about all these various different projects and such. And certainly, oh, without a doubt, I know tons of people. So make no concern about that. I'm sure we'll be able to find people to help you. 
no doubt. All whatsoever. right. Just send me a list and we can do that. Now you go be safe and be careful. And I cannot thank you enough for taking your time, all this time that you devoted to me. I cannot thank you enough. Thank I you, really Cindy. cannot thank, thank you, you enough. Thank you so much. It's been a oh, pleasure. No, not a problem. Anytime, my dear. Now get off my show so I can talk about you. I mean, I have to reiterate. Okay. Show stuff. All right, my dear. Take care. I'll talk to you in a little All right. While. You stay in touch now. Thank you I again. will, ma'am. Thank you. Okay, bye. Tell me that she was not amazing, and I meant every single word of that. I have not um, ever hosted an individual who was just so inspiring to me and, more importantly, just touched my heart. That's all I can say. Again, I want to reiterate all the different ways that you can find her. As I mentioned, I will keep posting up her Indiegogo campaign repeatedly so that this way you can take a look at it. Obviously, she's on LinkedIn, YouTube, IMDb. Her Twitter handle is at Lynn Warburg, and it's W-A-R-B-E-R-G, and it's spelled L-Y-N-N-E. Um, Satya Art, which is what we mentioned, it's spelled S-A-A-T-C-H-I-A-R-T.com, and you can look her up by her name. She has her personal Facebook page, the Lynn Warburg Photographer page, and, of course, Blonde and Voodoo, again, is spelled V-O-U-D-O-U. Again, one more time, I want to thank Lynn so much for her time and for her inspiration. I want to remind everybody to check my Facebook page or my SinsTrack Corner page or both. I'm hopeful with any luck at all, by the end of business day, I'll have a set answer. But I want to say that we have individuals who have produced a commercial for Mental Health Awareness Day coming on my show tomorrow, early afternoon. And then, of course, Saturday, we're trying to reschedule Vanessa Weiss. So please check my Facebook page. And if not on there, certainly check the show page. I hope you guys are staying safe in terms of anybody in the Florida or anywhere in the vicinity for the hurricane. Please, we are saying your prayers for you, saying prayers with you, and please try to be safe. I hope all of you have a wonderful evening, and I'll talk to you on air tomorrow.